KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Thursday, October 27th. After alleged gang rape, outside auditors will examine how SDSU investigates sexual assaults. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. A San Diego doctor was charged Wednesday with involuntary manslaughter for the death of a female inmate in 2019. Dr. Friedrich von Lintek is the second jail employee charged in the death of Alyssa Cerna. The doctor was on duty at Los Colinas in Santee when Cerna collapsed in front of a nurse. Prosecutors say the nurse walked away and left Cerna on the cell floor for about an hour before she returned with deputies to begin life-saving measures. The nurse was charged with involuntary manslaughter last year. California's COVID state of emergency is set to end in February, but there are concerns it may be too soon with the flu, COVID, and RSV circulating. Dr. Eric Topol is the director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute in La Jolla. He says hospitals nationwide are seeing a surge in RSV cases among children, but the virus can affect older people too, especially those who are immunocompromised. Topol says wearing a mask will give you extra protection against the viruses. San Diego air quality regulators will decide today on a timeline for new leaf biofuels to eliminate odors coming from its Barrio Logan factory. The company makes diesel from old cooking oil, and it creates a smell nearby residents have been complaining about for almost a year. The company says an odor control system will be installed in early December, but community advocates are calling for regulators to shut the business down until the system is installed and working. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. It's been just over a year since a teenager alleged she was gang-raped by SDSU football players at a Halloween party off-campus. However, no criminal charges have been filed, and SDSU says its own investigation is still ongoing. Meanwhile, KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn says a team of outside auditors is examining how the university conducts these investigations. Last year, Jordan Rosenquist was just another freshman on SDSU's campus. Then, September 8th happened. I was sexually assaulted in a SDSU dorm hall. She immediately reported the alleged assault to the university's Title IX office, which is in charge of investigating allegations of sexual violence on campus. But instead of being helped, she says she felt pushback. So I did not feel supported by the SDSU Title IX office at all. I felt like I was more working against them than they were working with me. She says the university did not immediately inform her of her rights as a sexual assault victim. She had to hire a lawyer for that. 
that was not what's supposed to happen under Title IX, says Attorney Jenna Ranghel. I think that when the school receives any report of um, sexual harassment or assault, they do have a duty to promptly respond and provide information about what um, their grievance process is, their investigative process, and then what supportive measures they might have available. Ranghel is currently representing the women's rowing team, who are suing SDSU for Title IX violation in sports, but is not a party to this case. SDSU isn't the only campus in the California State University system with issues surrounding Title IX. In fact, the CSU Board of Trustees ordered a system-wide audit of the Title IX process at all 23 campuses. The audit started in March at Fresno State, and auditors will be on SDSU campus in November. Ranghao expects auditors to thoroughly examine how SDSU Title IX office handles complaints. They are going to be looking at all instances in which complaints were made, how those complaints were made, meaning do they have effective policies and procedures in place and notices in place to where the people who complained were able to find that information easily. Rosenquist says the university needs to do a much better job of making victims feel protected. She talks about living in fear of her attacker even after getting a restraining order against him. I felt so much anxiety every single day when I was on campus because I even brought the restraining order to the uh, San Diego State Police Department and officials on campus. I gave a copy to Title IX and he actually violated that restraining order and I reported it and they did nothing about it. Rosenquist says SDSU Title IX office told her they waited to investigate her allegation because it's policy to wait until after the police investigation is over. In a statement to KPPS, SDSU says no such policy is in place. But this was the same reason SDSU gave for not starting its investigation into the rape allegation against three football players at a Halloween party off campus last year. That incident happened roughly a month after Rosenquist alleged assault. That hit a chord with me because I really felt for that person because although our incidents were not the same, I knew what they were going through. The university says it was asked by police not to start its own investigation because doing so might taint the criminal investigation. This is not the first time there has been a Title IX audit at SDSU. In 2014, an audit found that SDSU faculty and staff were not sufficiently trained in responding to and reporting sexual assaults and harassment. The report also faulted SDSU for not requiring students to undergo yearly sexual assault and harassment prevention training. Since then, the university has mandated the training for all students and staff Rosenquist hopes the new audit will lead to much-needed changes to the Title IX office at San Diego State. They really need to push for protecting their students and protecting their survivors that have gone through this, rather than just um, kind of being passive in the process. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. Earlier this month, when the Biden administration announced new immigration enforcement measures for Venezuelan nationals, officials said those already in the U.S. would not be retroactively deported. But several migrants told KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis that's what happened to them. Juan Carlos Torres turned himself in to border officials in El Paso on October 7th. That's five days before the Biden administration announced new rules restricting Venezuelan nationals from entering the country. 
Torres was not supposed to be impacted by this new policy. In fact, administration officials told reporters, quote, this process in itself does not apply to individuals who are already in the United States. But that's exactly what happened to Torres. And he has the receipts to prove it. A baggage check receipt from border officials dated October 7th. Torres is now living in a Tijuana migrant shelter. He says he was kept in a holding facility with 300 other men for six days and then deported on October 13th, the day after the new policy was announced. He says it felt like border officials were holding them and just waiting for the new policy to come into effect. The Department of Homeland Security did not respond to a request for comment. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. State lawmakers held a public hearing yesterday focused on helping California teachers prepare to teach ethnic studies. Last year, the legislature passed a law requiring students to take ethnic studies for high school graduation. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez sat in on the hearing and has this update. It was a meeting of the California Assembly Committee on Higher Education held on the campus of Cal State San Bernardino. But education experts from across the state testified with ideas on how best to recruit and retain teachers who are people of color and experienced with working in diverse communities. Since 2018, Dr. Michael Dominguez has created curriculum for an ethnic studies teaching certificate at San Diego State. Ethnic studies is a unique distinct field and discipline that necessarily engages with questions or, and academic definitions of race, ethnicity, culture, identity, and power. Whatever is decided has to be in place by the 2025-26 school year, as required by the new state law. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Coming up, we break down the dialysis proposition that keeps on showing up on your ballot. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. We've been bringing you information on the state propositions you'll see on your November ballot. And today we're looking at Prop 29. It's the kidney dialysis measure you voted on for multiple elections in a row now. The California Report's Saul Gonzalez explains. I want to introduce you to someone I know pretty well. I'm Joanne Frost. And what's our relationship? Saul's mother-in-law. <laughs> and Joanne, who's 87, is also one of the estimated 80,000 Californians who get dialysis because of damaged kidneys. That means three times a week she goes to a clinic and gets hooked up to a machine that cleans waste material from her blood. The machine doing the work of what healthy kidneys would do. Each dialysis session, which lasts between three to four hours, leaves Joanne feeling exhausted. It really tires you 
I'm sleepy all the rest of the day. I just, I'm really tired. You feel like you've really been through something. I've been drained. Yeah. Yeah. But for people like Joanne with serious kidney problems, not getting dialysis just isn't an option. If I can't be attached to that machine every three days, I'll die. That's it. Into this life and death treatment comes Proposition 29 on the state's November ballot. If passed, the measure would require the state's 650 licensed dialysis clinics to have physicians or nurse practitioners on staff, along with dialysis technicians. The heart and soul of this is we're going to add a clinician to the dialysis clinic when care is being delivered. We think it's uh, incredibly important. That's David Miller, research director of SEIU United Healthcare Workers. It's the labor union that's behind Proposition 29. We think there's millions of bad incidents of quality of care in dialysis clinics, and we think adding a clinician or an MD to the clinic would help resolve some of the poor care. So we think it's very important in terms of improving patient quality. The dialysis industry has a very different take. It argues the state's dialysis clinics are already safe and well-staffed, and the cost of adding more personnel would force the industry to make cuts and close clinics. Prop 29, the dialysis industry says, is about union clout, not health care. The motives of the groups behind Prop 29 are ballot box extortion. That's Kathy Fairbanks, a spokesperson for the No on Prop 29 campaign. Fairbanks argues the ballot measure is really part of a long-term pressure campaign by SEIU United Healthcare Workers to increase its membership. It's not about patient care. It's not about improving patient care. It's about trying to unionize dialysis workers when they have so far said to the union, we're not interested. This is the union's way of putting pressure on the dialysis providers. Two past attempts to pass dialysis industry reform propositions in California, both backed by the union, failed at the ballot box, with dialysis companies spending big to defeat them. And the industry is once again opening its wallet to oppose Prop 29, raising more than $86 million so far. Prop 29 proponents say what the industry is spending to defeat the measure shows that it has deep pockets and can add staff without closing clinics. Dialysis is a three and a half billion dollar business in California, dominated by two companies, DeVita Incorporated and Fresenius Medical Care. Again, David Miller of SEIU UHW. 80 or 90 percent of this industry is for profit, um, and this would restrict the amount of money that they could return to their shareholders. You know, so I think we're having a big fight over where the dollar goes. We're trying to wrestle it back into patient care. We think that's at the crux of the fight. And what do dialysis patients think, like my mother-in-law? I just want my procedure done. I just want to make sure that they stay open so that I can, my kidneys can keep functioning. That emphasis on survival is what's important to tens of thousands of dialysis patients in the state, no matter what happens to Prop 29. In Los Angeles, I'm Saul Gonzalez. And now we'll turn to a race that those who live in the city of San Diego's District 6 will vote on. The district includes Kearney Mesa, Mira Mesa, and University City. The San Diego City Council District 6 is the only race in the city this November with no incumbent on the ballot. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more on the race. For the past two years, District 6 has been represented by the last Republican in San Diego elected office. 
Now that he's termed out, two Democrats are running to replace him. I have served as a member of the Mir Mesa Community Planning Group for over nine years now. Kent Lee finished first in the D6 primary, winning 41% of the vote. He spent the last six years running Pacific Arts Movement, the nonprofit that produces the San Diego Asian Film Festival. He says that experience as a manager will help him address the city's operational problems. You look at the fiscal challenges that we faced, the staffing and vacancies that we currently hold, and I think these are critical components that explain why the city is failing to deliver on some of its most basic services that people think of every day. I'm not aligned with uh, a lot of the downtown special interests. Tommy Howe, an activist and former radio host, finished second in the primary with 37% of the vote. He's skeptical of the city's efforts to zone for more housing and says most new homes are too expensive for the middle class. We still aren't a- answering the basic question. How is this housing that we're building going to be somehow more accessible, more attainable, and more affordable for our neighbors? The housing and zoning debate is a critical one. The next council member in District 6 will vote on new community plans in University City and Mira Mesa. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.